see you tonight by way of live streaming. And uh, we're going to be looking in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading in verse uh, 14. The message entitled is Dealing with Guilt. But before we do that, I want to give you a few announcements just to bring you up to speed with some things that are coming up. Um, remember Sunday morning at 9.30, we're going to have our discussion panel up here. And if you have some questions uh, that you have, just send them in to us. You can text them or you can email them, uh, put it on Facebook, private setting, whatever it is. I don't understand all that stuff. But I got a Facebook page, but that means nothing. I don't know what it means. So anyway, uh, communicate that uh, questions to us. We'll be glad to address your questions. And uh, if, if you don't send any in, we'll make up our own. But it's going to be a good time to have a good discussion panel. I really enjoyed that last week, and so we're going to do that again. Remember, Sunday morning at 10 o'clock is a preaching message. And so we want you to be in tune at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Sunday evening at 6 o'clock will be our evening service. And uh, we'll probably do a, a devotional before that at 5.30. Uh, Pastor Petrozello will be doing a devotional at 5.30. And he'll be ready. He just found out about it. So that's good. And then uh, teens. We want you to be aware tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. Teens. It's a Zoom conference. Amen. Uh, Pastor Petrozello will be Zooming in on you. And so make sure you're available, ready to be able to do that. It'll be a great time of Bible study and challenging one another tomorrow evening at 6 o'clock. So we got a lot of things going on. Be praying for Easter Sunday. There's a couple of things we're uh, planning on doing for Easter Sunday to make it a special day. Now, of course, it's always a special day when you celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so uh, this Sunday's Palm Sunday. Uh, next Sunday is a Easter Sunday, and so uh, we're excited about that to be able to rejoice in the fact that our God is not dead. He is alive, and he lives forevermore, and so we're going to rejoice in uh, that time of celebration. Well, tonight, we want to deal with dealing with guilt. Oftentimes, people don't move ahead in their Christian life because they're guilty about things they've done in their past or uh, guilty about a situation in their life, and we need to uh, understand what the Scripture says and how we can deal with guilt to get past those things so we can move on in great victory. The Bible has so much to say about us being successful as a Christian, uh, being victorious as a Christian, and yet we allow these feelings of uh, guilt uh, to rule over us and to destroy us. And so Romans chapter 2 in verse 14 it says, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Verse 15 is the verse we want to kind of focus on, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another, dealing with guilt. Every one of us have had to deal with guilt feelings 
uh, in our life. You know, it's always amazing. I was a kid, I would do things that were wrong, and I would hope that my dad would not find out about it. And I always would feel guilty about it. And sure enough, he always found out about it. I don't know how he did, uh, but he always did. And oftentimes, we have to deal with these feelings of guilt because of situations or circumstances that have come into our life. Now, it has often been said that the preacher only wants to put people on guilt trips. And uh, listen, you're not, we do not motivate ourselves to do something for God through guilt. And oftentimes, the preaching of the Word of God may bring conviction on our hearts. But as conviction comes on our hearts, we're reminded that there's victory through faith in Christ that sets us free from uh, that guilt that rules and reigns in our life. And so uh, we need to deal with guilt. If you're feeling guilty about something, you need to get on the page with God and get this thing figured out how you can move ahead for the glory of the Lord. The Word of God speaks about this matter of guilt in many different ways. And I'm just going to read a few Bible verses uh, that speak about guilt. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, uh, Moses is giving the children of Israel instruction on dealing with someone who had murdered someone. And uh, Deuteronomy 19 and verse 13 says, Thy eye shall not pity him, but thou shalt put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that it may be well with thee. And uh, literally, God, uh, God was instructing Moses to help the children of Israel to know how to deal with this offender rather than feeling guilty about what had taken place. There was innocent blood that was shed, and uh, he gives them explicit instruction on how to deal with that. So why? So you put the guilt out. Get the guilt out of Israel so that they might be able to live in a way that they're enjoying the blessings of God. In uh, Matthew chapter 26, Jesus, just prior to being crucified... When he was being interrogated in Matthew 26 and verse 66, they said, What think ye? And they answered and said, He is guilty of death. Now, it's amazing thing is this. Jesus Christ wasn't guilty of anything to be crucified or to be executed. But the conclusion of the people as they listened to Christ was that Jesus was guilty of death. In Mark 14 and 64, it folders that narrative in this way. Ye have heard the blasphemy, in other words, what Christ was speaking. He said, you've heard the blasphemy, what think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And so this whole dealing with guilt that was placed, false guilt that was placed on Christ, would literally motivate the masses of people to take him to the place of crucifixion. And so how deadly guilt is, how it destroys people's lives. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 19 says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. The amazing thing is, is man does not want to acknowledge his guilt before God. And because he won't acknowledge his guilt before God, he won't release himself from the torment of that guilt in his heart. Because the reality is, is man has a conscious awareness of, of who God is. Man has a void in his life without Christ in his life, and he always feels guilty. 
And it's because he is condemned. It is because he is guilty before God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 27 says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And Paul is instituting the Lord's Supper and, and uh, giving a direction on how to observe the Lord's Supper, reminds the believers that, wait a minute, if you despise the body of Christ that was broken, uh, do you defile the blood that was shed? Uh, you're, you're standing guilty when you come to the Lord's table in a disrespectful, defiling way. And oftentimes people wonder why they're not maturing in their walk with God, and yet they disgrace uh, the Lord's Supper. James chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend one point, he is guilty of all. And so it's hard for us to have a life and a temperament of victory and joy and excitement if we're living our life completely violating the principles that are in the Word of God. And so we have to constantly deal with this guilt complex. It's amazing oftentimes how psychologists try to help people and try to stir people to have a positive spirit and attitude, but they cannot get victory in someone's life if you don't get over the guilt. If you don't eliminate the guilt, you'll never have the freedom to be happy in this world. It has been said this, that guilt comes from things done in the past. And the amazing thing is how much, how many people uh, struggle with things from their past. My life, I know I've, over the years, there's been uh, hesitations and unwillingness many times to say, okay, God, I'll do what it is you want me to do, or believe that God would use me in that area. And it's because of the fact the devil likes to bring up my past. The devil always likes to condemn me in the present based on the things that were in the past. But I'm thankful that when God saves us, he changes us, he, we can put on the new man, and we can live a life of victory. We don't have to be overcome and oppressed constantly with guilt. So guilt comes from things done in the past. However, anxiety comes from fear of future consequences due to the past. And I, I really believe we're living in a day and time where people are so anxious about life. Uh, people are so distressed about life. I'm amazed in dealing with people in church and uh, trying to be a soul winner and talk with people and lead them to Christ, dealing with uh, children in our Christian school, uh, how many people are just overwhelmed with anxiety. And I just wonder sometimes, is it because we're overwhelmed and fear of what the future may hold because of the fact we've been condemned by guilt of the past? And so we have to deal with guilt. I want to look at just a few things tonight to help us to deal with this. First of all, we need to understand feelings of guilt. The feelings of guilt. The feelings of guilt, first of all, are subjective. Now, what I mean by that, Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true and every man a liar. Our guilt is subjective. There is something that is causing the guilt. In other words, this guilt is subjective because many times of violating things that we've been taught or we require, was required of us. And, uh, we, you know, we're, we raise our children. We tell them this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to act. They don't act that way or do those things, and right away they feel guilty about it. 
Uh, oftentimes, when we preach the Word of God and share passages of Scripture in reference to what our life is supposed to be in the Lord, and people understand what they've been taught from the Word of God, but they live contrary to the Word of God. Uh, it's amazing how many times I've talked to people and tried to invite them out to church, and people say, well, I can't go into church. Well, I, you don't understand what I've done. What, is, what are they expressing at that moment? They're expressing their guilt because of things that they, were, they have done that they know has violated something they were taught. And so guilt is subjective in the violating of the things that we've been taught. It's subjective also because of experiencing doubts about our faith in the difficult times that try us. And the amazing thing is this, uh, you know the, the fellow that had a son that needed healing, and he came to Jesus because the disciples could do nothing. And Jesus told him, all things are possible to him that believeth. His response was Jesus, to Jesus was, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. And so this doubt, this doubt that he had that developed guilt in his heart was subjective to his experience that he was going through. And so doubts have a tendency to develop when we are weak in our faith because we're not believing what has God said and then because we're not believing what God has said, now all of a sudden we live a life that's consumed with guilt. And so our guilt is subjective. It's subjective to those experiences in our life and it's subjective uh, to the things that we've been taught in our life. Not only is guilt subjective, but it's objective. Uh, and I thought of this, and as far as guilt being objective, I thought about David's indictment that was against him. All the way back in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 12, in verse 7, uh, Samuel the prophet comes to David, and he says, And uh, Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And what was the problem here? David had committed adultery. David had gazed on a woman uh, uh, that was bathing. David plotted and planned for this woman's husband to be killed in battle. And, and, and the prophet of God would come to him, Nathan would come to him, and confront him with this great parable about what went on as far as a man robbing someone and taking his possessions and all these things. And David was indignant about this. And David said he shall restore the land fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan's response was to David, you're the man. You're the one's done this. You're the one that has created this suffering in this household. You're the one that committed the adultery. You're the one that has uh, taken a man's life. You're the one that has to answer before God. And at, at that very moment, there was an object in David's life that caused him to be guilty before God. Now, many times we have to be reminded that there are things that God will bring in our life to confront us about uh, this matter of being guilty before him. It's objective. Not only did I think about David's indictment, but I thought about Christ's doctrine. In uh, 2 John chapter 1, 
And if you find a second John chapter two, you got a different Bible than I got because there's only one chapter in second John. But in second John chapter one and verse nine says, whoso transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. And so it's important to understand that guilt is experienced uh, because of the fact that it is subjective to the things that we experience and learn in life. But it's also objective in reference to not just what we do and what we focus on, but it's based on who Christ is and his truth that he has revealed. John's very clear that if you don't have the doctrine of Christ, you're not of God. And oftentimes, many people may be, have, be religious, and they may be kind, and they may be good people, but they really don't have the doctrine of Christ, and they can't understand why they can't get over the guilt in their life. And But when we have the doctrine of Christ, we abide both in the Father and the Son. So guilt is objective. There, there is something that is confronting us and causing the guilt. And then I just thought of this, the objective is man's condemnation. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 23, tells us very clearly that uh, for all have sinned and come sure of the glory of God. And so it's objective, man's, man's confrontation that he has with God because the fact his sin has caused him not to uh, be acceptable to God, and as a result of it, it causes man to be guilty. And I really believe with all my heart, much of the problems that we have in our human society is because men are distraught with guilt so much so because of the object of their sin has caused them to not be right with God and so now they can't feel good about themselves. They can't focus on something that is positive and just and right and good. And as a result of it, they're always walking around condemned. It's because their guilt is condemning them. So first of all, when I think about guilt, I think about the feelings of guilt. Uh, you might be feeling guilty tonight. I don't know what it is. Your faith may be weak and you're feeling guilty about that. Uh, your relationship may be wrong and you're feeling guilty about that. Your, your actions has violated principles in the Word of God, and you know that. You violated those principles, and you're feeling guilty about that. Realize that, wait a minute, you're just like I am. You're just like all of us. We all at times have feelings of guilt because of the experiences and because of the things that we've gone through. Not only do we have the feelings of guilt, but secondly, I see the faces of guilt. So how does this guilt manifest itself in our, in our lives? And uh, we're going to get to the positive thing in a minute, the freedom from guilt, but the faces of guilt. First of all, the face of guilt is repression. All the way back in the book of Genesis, when God had created man and put him in the Garden of Eden, and man sinned in the garden, disobeyed God, uh, certainly uh, this matter of repression is a, would be uh, identified as denial, repression. Uh, people, oftentimes people say, well, so-and-so's got a repressed memory. You know what that means? That means he's denying. He's denying what took place. Back in Genesis chapter 4, uh, Cain, we know, slew his brother Abel. And in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? 
And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. So the, the guilt is repressed in Cain's life because God's reminding him, Cain, you know if you do what is right, you'll be blessed. You know if you don't do what is right, sin lies at your door, and of thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And then in verse 8 it says, Cain talked to Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know, know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Repression. Denial. Uh, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't, do, I didn't harm my brother. I, am, I, am I responsible for him? Oh, yes, you are, because you already know if you do what's right, you'll be set free. You already know that if you do what is uh, blessed of God, you enjoy peace. But wait a minute, you've chose to do what is wrong. You brought the wrong offering before God, and you brought a bad attitude against your brother, and you slew your brother. And so, faces of guilt. Cain is standing there before God guilty because of repression, uh, denial. I thought about 1 Samuel 15, and I thought about Saul. Uh, you know, there's plenty of people in the Bible that we can see had to deal with guilt. But I thought about Samuel, I'm sorry, Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And uh, I thought about this. Cain had repression. Saul had rationalization. In second, uh, where am I at? 1 Samuel chapter 15. And uh, we know that God had commanded him uh, to destroy all the Malachites, not to keep anything of the Malachites for possession. And in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 13, it says, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Rationalization. He's rationalizing what is going on. I did what the Lord commanded me to do. Samuel's response in verse 14, What meaneth in the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowering of oxen which I hear? And so old Samuel's confronting Saul with the fact that, wait a minute, you're trying to rationalize what you've done because you're saying you've done what the Lord told you to do. But reality is God told you to destroy everything of the Malachites. And what's, I hear sheep bleeding. I hear the oxen lowry. What, what are that? What is that? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest have utterly destroyed. Rationalizing. Oh, wait a minute. It's not my fault. I did what the Lord commanded me. It was the people's fault. They brought them. Matter of fact, they brought all the good ones so we could offer them unto the Lord. No, don't allow guilt to cause you to rationalize wrongdoing or partial obedience in your life. And so faces of guilt involves repression, and it involves rationalization. Over in Revelation chapter 16, uh, we see this matter of dealing with suffering. Faces of guilt in suffering means there's rebellion against God. 
It's an amazing chapter, chapter 16, because we read of the vials of the wrath of God being poured out on this world. And in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 10, it says, And the fifth angel poured out the vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. I mean, there's so much pain, they're tormented in that pain, that they're literally chewing on their tongues in pain. Verse 11 shows us the guilt, the product of the guilt that they are feeling, and blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores and repented not of their deeds. You know, guilt, standing guilty before God, has many faces on it, and it carries a face of blaspheming against God. It carries a face of being angry with God because of my pain and my suffering. We're going through trials right now with this coronavirus and everything else that is going on in the world that we're living in. People are hurting. People are suffering. But the sad thing is we'll allow our guilt before God to cause us to blaspheme and defy the living God. And so our guilt uh, is faces of guilt is repression, rationalization, rebellion, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, recognition. And I mean that in reference to recognition of self-forgiveness in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse 2. You know, God saves us. He forgives us. But many a person never gets victory in their life because you're not willing to forgive yourself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, Moreover, it is required as stewards that a man be found faithful. And we often preach on that verse about faithfulness. But then it goes on to say in verse 3, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of a man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified? But he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Recognizing the fact, wait a minute, we do not have to be constantly judging ourselves because we've been judged by God. Jesus Christ judged all of our sins upon the cross when he died on the cross. He cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so how can we be overwhelmed with a face of guilt in this matter of recognizing ourselves as being wicked and vile and away from God when Jesus Christ has forgiven us and set us free? Why can't we forgive ourselves? Why can't we acknowledge the fact, wait a minute, that's what I used to be, but I'm not that anymore. Because in Christ... I'm a new creature. And so recognition, being willing to forgive yourself. And then I see this matter in 1 John 1, 9 of rid, riddance. Riddance, dealing with self-confession. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, it's just a matter of getting rid of the sin in your life. 
It's just a matter of acknowledging the fact that, yes, if I pray to God, he'll hear my prayers and he'll forgive my sins and he will cleanse me and he will set me free. And so a face of guilt is an unwillingness to get rid of the guilt, to get rid of the sin in my life. When I went to Bible college, I was smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. And uh, basically all I'd do is drive down the road, throw the pack of cigarettes out the window, pull in the next service area and buy another pack. And I knew when I got to Bible college, if I didn't get rid of those smokes, those cigarettes, that I would not be able to stay in college. I'd be kicked out of college if I got caught. 1 John 1.9 is the verse I used to get victory over those cigarettes. Why? Because I knew I had to get rid of the sin, the sin that was in my heart. More so than the sin of smoking the cigarettes. I was smoking the cigarettes. That was the product of the sin that was in my heart. So if I was going to be able to overcome the face of guilt of desiring that which was defiling my body, I had to get rid of it. If we confess our sins, I prayed that prayer a hundred times a day. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faces of guilt is riddance. Get it out of your life. Self-confession to, to release yourself from these um, means of guilt. And then I see in Matthew chapter 27, verse 24, uh, the last face of guilt is referral. You know, Jesus is before Pilate, and as he's before Pilate, uh, he's being interrogated and questioned and ultimately will be sent to the cross to be crucified, to die for the sins of the world. But in Matthew chapter 24, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 27, in verse 24, it says, When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. You know what the problem was here? Pilate thought he could refer his judgment, refer his responsibility to somebody else. And I just, I just want to say this. When it comes to faces of guilt in our life, we don't find victory because we refer it to someone else. No, we get rid of it. Uh, we release it. Pilate had the authority. He had the wherewithal that he could make a decision that Christ would not be crucified. Now, I understand prophetically the word of God said that's why Jesus came into this world. We understand that there was nothing that was going to prevent him from going to that cross. But the reality is we see a great face of guilt here in the eyes of Pilate as he washes his hands and says, I have nothing to do with it. Oh, yes, you do. You stand guilty before God because you went along with the crowd and allowed him to be crucified. And so this matter of referral, we have feelings of guilt. I don't want to put you on a guilt trip tonight. I don't want you to be overwhelmed with feelings of guilt. But if you're dealing with feelings of guilt, then recognize the face of that guilt. Recognize the enemy that's defeating you. And then the last point is freedom from guilt. We have freedom from guilt because of the fact that there is grace that is extended to us. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, we find this matter of grace that is extended to us. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. 
Then in verse 24, it says, being justified freely by his grace. He states the condemnation. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But we have been justified freely. It didn't cost us anything. It cost Christ everything. But we are justified freely. How? By his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So freedom from guilt is to know that God has extended grace to me to deliver me from the bondage of that guilt through the redemption of Jesus Christ. I'm standing here tonight redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and I do not have to live a life that's overwhelmed with guilt because Jesus Christ has set me free. And so we have the freedom from guilt. Why? Because of grace being extended. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, we have Christ exalted. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The focus here is not the death, it's not the condemnation, it's not the sin. The focus is the fact that Christ has died for you and there's freedom and there's eternal life through faith in Christ. So we reckon ourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. That's a decision you have to make. That's an acknowledgement that you need to take a hold of. There is freedom from guilt in our life because God has already extended enough grace. My grace is sufficient for thee. He has extended enough grace to us that we can acknowledge that Christ is lifted up and exalted in our life because eternal life comes through Christ and Christ alone. And if he has forgiven me, he has set me free, then I'm going to live in the life of exalting Christ because that's where there's freedom and victory. So grace extended, Christ exalted. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, a walk evolved. Therefore... There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, a walk that is evolved. You know, we go on a journey when we get saved. My life for the last 35, 40 years of being saved, I'll tell you, it's been a journey. What I am today is not what I was 35 years ago. I'm thankful that God has been releasing me from guilt and releasing me from the condemnation and releasing me through his grace to be able to have a walk that is involving into the very characteristics of Christ. Why? Because for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So a walk, is your walk evolving into the likeness of Christ? Is your walk a walk that is walking and enjoying victory? Or are you allowing circumstances and people and the past and sin to bring guilt upon you, guilt upon you, and guilt upon you where you're walking in bondage? We walk in freedom in Christ Jesus. Stand fast, therefore, the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free and be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And so we, we live a life that is evolving 
as we walk with Christ. And so freedom from guilt is grace extended, Christ exalted, walk involved, and then righteousness experienced. In 2 Corinthians, I like in fact I got all these E's in here, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That'll make it preach easy. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Righteousness experience. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Well, that's a good message. You're a representative of Christ. We send ambassadors all around the world to represent the United States of America. You realize tonight you're a representative of Jesus Christ. Now we are, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Why would he make such a statement? Because when we're reconciled to God, the guilt is gone. And then he says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. The freedom from guilt is that I can have righteousness that is experienced. The righteousness that we live, a holy life that we desire to accomplish in our life, is not based on who we are, but it's based on who Christ is and what he is in our life. So grace extended, Christ exalted, a walk evolved, a righteousness experience, and then 1 John chapter 3, a confidence enjoyed. Uh, you know, I'm afraid there's far too many, far too many believers in Christ that are not living a life of confidence. And uh, I've had people over the years different times say, well, you seem to be a pretty strong guy. You seem to be a pretty confident guy. No, I'm not. But I am in Christ because I believe that my God can do all things. I believe that my God can supply all my needs. I believe that God, my God, is greater than the God of this world. I believe all those things. In my flesh, that's who I am. There's not much confidence at all. But in Christ Jesus, we have confidence that we can enjoy. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 19 says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. All saints of God realize this tonight. Oh, your heart may condemn you with feelings of doubt. Their heart may condemn you with feelings of guilt. But wait a minute, it tells me here, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. My confidence is enjoyed because, wait a minute, my heart condemns me, but God releases me. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. For whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. I want to encourage you tonight with freedom from guilt is having confidence that there's nothing that can condemn you when God has forgiven you. There is nothing that can destroy you when you're walking in the presence and the power of Christ in you. I love what Henry Ward Beecher said this. God pardons like a mother who kisses the offense into everlasting forgiveness. I was like, whoa, man, I like that. You know, I always get tickled. Kids get hurt, you know, 
And uh, they skin their knee or whatever. And, you know, if they fall down, I'll see them in the gym or whatever. And I'm like, what's the matter with you? Get up. You're okay. And, uh, you know, then there's the teachers, these dear, lovely ladies, that Christian women that love the Lord and love children. And here comes this child over there crying. Oh, they're hugging. No, you're okay. And, you know, something, all of a sudden they're all better. I told them to get up. I told them they were okay. They want to hear that. But, oh, how a mother can come along and kiss the hurt and bring, uh, remove the offense and bring a healing. And that's what God does in our life when it comes to the matter of guilt. It is God as a mother coming alongside of us, kissing the offense, that we might be able to enjoy the everlasting kingdom of God. And so freedom from guilt. An anonymous author said this, The moment you asked for forgiveness, God forgave you. Now do your part and leave the guilt behind. I don't know why we want to drag our sins from the past with us. I don't understand why we want to drag the guilt with us. I don't wonder, understand why we want to be depressed and discouraged and defeated and beat down when God has forgiven us and removed all those sins from us. Psalm 34 and 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. I want you to know tonight that we have to deal with guilt. I know we do. I have to deal with guilt all the time in my life. But I know this, when I start feeling guilty, then I have to identify what that guilt is. Because once I identify what that guilt is or what it's over, now I can confess it and acknowledge it before Christ. And once I put it under the blood of Christ, I'm set free and I'm delivered from it. And so not only do I feel the guilt, i got to face the guilt so that I can be free from the guilt. And I want you to know this, that you can be free tonight. You don't need to be oppressed, and you don't have to be destroyed by the work of the God of this world. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He provided a way for you to be forgiven and cleansed and delivered. And so let's walk in great victory and peace tonight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this time that we could be together considering this thought about guilt. So many people struggle with this, these feelings, Lord. Help us not to allow them to consume us, but rather, Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to surrender anew and afresh every day uh, before Christ and knowing that there's always victory with the Lord. And I, I know, I know with great confidence that when my heart condemns me, when this world condemns me, there's a God who loves me and blesses me. And so, Lord, give us victory continually uh, for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we got some prayer requests. As we get ready to pray, you should be praying together. Uh, the prayer sheet is on our website. You can go on ocbcministries.org. And when you go on the web page, you'll see right at the top, it'll say Our Church. You click on Our Church, and then a drop-down menu will come, and you'll see the prayer sheet for today that was updated, and it's on there for you to be able to pray for one another. So make sure you take some time tonight and pray. There's some great answers to prayer on our prayer sheet. 
There's some great uh, requests for people to be prayed for that have contracted this uh, uh, coronavirus, and we need to be praying for our nation. We need to be praying for our leaders. Uh, you know, the, the unsaved crowd, the liberal crowd, seems to want to mock God when it comes to prayer and all this. But wait a minute. They can't stop you from praying. I told a fellow something years ago, and he told me, I was out soul wanting. He told me, he said, preacher, he said, I don't need you. He said, I don't want you knocking on my door. I don't want you talking to me. And I told him, I said, well, you know what? The reality is, is someday you're going to die, and you're going to need somebody to bury you. And I said, then your family will call me and ask me to bury you. I said, but the reality is, I said, there's one thing. You could throw me off your step, and you could deny me access to talk to you. I said, but there's one thing you can't stop me from doing, and that's praying for your soul. And you realize tonight, tonight, I don't care what the problem is, what the disease is, what the enemy is, what the conflict may be in your life. There is one thing that none of those things can stop you from doing, and that's to pray. So let's take time and let's talk with God tonight. And let's cry out to God and ask God to do something miraculous in our midst. God bless you for tuning in. And I hope that was a help to you tonight. We want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have a great night.